0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Rico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Welcome this uh, Thursday evening uh, to Golf Talk Live uh, on March the 10th of 2016. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Um, as I was just starting to say, I've got a great show for you tonight. I'm going to start off uh, with the second Coach's Corner panel discussion tonight um, of the season. We had the first one, of course, last week. I uh, had, a, had a good time with, with Tim uh, Kramer and, and uh, Michelle Tremarchi, uh, who were my guests last week. And uh, i got two great gentlemen. Uh, One's on board right now. I'm just waiting for the other one to come in, but uh, uh, I'll introduce those in just a quick second here. But let me just remind everybody, of course, for those of you that may be tuning in the first time, uh, the show is live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 Eastern Standard Time. The best way to find us is to go to blogtalkradio.com up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live and that will take you to the main page. And always uh, on the Thursday evening during the live broadcast, the show is always at the top of the page. Um, and for some reason, if you're not able to join us on the broadcast uh, on Thursday evenings, you can uh, still go to the blogtalkradio.com forward slash live and just scroll down the page a little bit and you'll see On Demand. And in that section there is all of the uh, previously aired shows Uh, They are all auto-recorded, so you can uh, jump in there and listen to them at your leisure. But we are glad for those of you that are joining us live tonight. And you're always welcome to call in live. We would love to hear from you uh, during the broadcast. In fact, we'd love for you to join in on a Coach's uh, Corner panel discussion. And you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667. That's 646-716-4667. And for those of you that um, have reached out to me uh, here lately uh, wanting to come on the show, uh, the email, of course, is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. That's the best way to uh, to get in touch with me. And uh, if you're a, a golf instructor or teacher, coach, uh, what have you, i uh, love to hear from you, and, and uh, we'll certainly work into the schedule. I'm working on May right now. I'm booked for the rest of March and all through April, so I'm working on May. Uh, so you might have to wait uh, a few weeks, but uh, no worries. I'll, I'll get you into the mix. Um, got As I said, a great show tonight. We're going to start off with Coach's Corner. Uh, two great gentlemen, John Hughes, he's a PJ Master Professional, as well as the Vice President and Secretary of the North Florida PJ Section. And he was the uh, recipient of the 2013 uh, PJ of America Honor, uh, sorry, Horton Smith Award. And as I understand, he's also now a top 30 instructor uh, for Golf Tips Magazine. We'll talk to him a little bit about that in a second. And then also rounding up the panel is Pete Buchanan. Uh, he's the co-founder, or sorry, the founder and owner of Plain Simple Golf. Uh, which houses the plain simple golf circuit and simple swing repeater training brace. And he's going to be joining us here in just a second, he's running just a, a moment or two late. And then later in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by Alison Kurt. She's a PGA uh, master professional as well as an LPGA uh, teaching professional. And she's the director of instruction at Wood Ranch Golf Club, uh, as well as many other things. And I'll talk about that later when I bring her on, she'll be joining us uh, on the second uh, hour of the show, but, uh, well, uh, well, we get things going here. Let me welcome my good friend, Mr. John Hughes. John, welcome.
0: Ted, welcome
2: to you as well. I guess from my side, happy new year. I haven't talked to you yeah. since the beginning of the year. Happy new year.
1: Happy new year to you as well, John. And, and um, well, we got a minute here, and, and I, I suspect that you know, as I've mentioned many times on the show, I know a lot of you guys uh, are, are very, very busy, and I. I I can't express how much I appreciate you giving of your time in the evenings. And, and sometimes these things happen. People run a little bit late, um, you know, uh, wrapping up at, at the course or, or at their facility. So I suspect that's probably what happened uh, with uh, with Pete. But uh, we'll, we'll hang tight and let him uh, join us here shortly. But um, in the meantime, John, why don't you just tell us, uh, you, you mentioned to me off air, and I, I tried to, to sneak that in there, that you're now uh, part of the Golf Tips magazine. Tell us how that came about.
2: Before I do that, I need to make a correction. Sure. Charlie Reimer is now the secretary of the North Florida PGA. Congratulations, oh, okay. Charlie. And I'm now vice president. Just to, just doing a little bit of housekeeping there.
0: Golf <laughs> Tips,
2: unlike some of the other magazines that most of the listeners are probably familiar with, is purely an instructional magazine. It's the very yeah. last magazine out there that's purely devoted to golf instruction you're not going to find any of the fluff like the travel and the fashion and the editorialism and all these other things not that that's not good but what you'll see you see less and less instruction in golf digest and golf magazine and and the other big ones golf tips is nothing but instruction it's not as thick it doesn't come out every month but the content is just absolutely incredible, and they do have a top 30 list, and I'm very honored that uh, the editors and publisher of the magazine have bestowed that honor to me. I, I do deeply appreciate it. The What I've been most impressed with about Golf Tips my entire career is you tend to see some fantastic content about the things that everyday golfers deal with, not just the hmm. pros, not just right. here's a, a photo of the pro and how they swing. Let's face it, a lot of the listeners out there, they're not touring pros. They don't have that aspiration to be so. Mimicking them and seeing photos of it is fantastic, but at the end of the day, content has got to be really driven towards that regular guy or regular gal. And Golf Tips throughout the years has done one a wonderful job Doing that, and I'm I'm pleased as punch to be part of that list. I'm looking forward to doing a a lot of contribution to the to the magazine myself and Vic Williams, the uh, chief editor, are talking about some other projects to, that we can potentially do as the magazine continues. I can't think of how old the magazine is, but we're trying to really stay up with the times. The digital version of it alliance right. it's fantastic. <clears throat> the addition of video, um, I'm looking forward to helping them with as well. It'll be a fantastic relationship all the way around. And Very much like we talk with Coach's Corner, we'll we'll talk about different things on and off about a lot of various subjects regarding instruction. I I don't think there's a better publication that someone can pick up relatively inexpensive, read cover to cover, not one time but multiple times, Mm and get right. a lot of value out of
1: that publication. You know, you, you raise an interesting point, and and, it, and it's not to knock some of the other, um, you know, what we would classify as the traditional golf magazines that we've seen out there, but you're right. And and, and certainly we, we can appreciate from a business standpoint, you have to have advertisers and you have to, um, uh, you know, a, sort of appeal to everybody. But one of the things that I've noticed, and, and I'll be quite honest, I, I make no bones about it. In fact, I, I think I said this on air a couple of years ago, Um, I actually stopped my uh, subscription renewal to both of those magazines just because I I got, really, to be honest, frustrated. I mean, I always enjoyed reading some of the articles and and that, but there was just so much fluff um, and and just advertisement bulked up in there. And it it just got to the point where really there was very little instruction and just mainly advertising to to pay for the publication. And, And the other point that you raised, John, which is interesting as well, Uh, And again, you know, I always enjoy hearing about the pros and and seeing what they're doing. And and I always appreciate, um, as many of them have offered their services to to provide tips and that for the magazines. But to the average golfer, you're right. Um, You know, it's not all about trying to emulate the pro. I mean, we can certainly get some tips here and there from them. But, uh, you know, there has to be some sort of reality to it as well. Not everybody's going to make it out to the PGA Tour or LPGA for that matter. And, um, you know, there needs to be a little bit of, of balance of, you know, some from the pros and, and maybe some, uh, geared specifically for, for some of the higher handicap golfers out there. So, um, and, and I am familiar with golf tips magazine. I know a few people that, uh, Uh, have been uh, editing for it uh, and providing uh, content. Barry Goldstein, of course, has done it for a number of years and uh, has been on the show a few times. And Rick Sessenhaus, I think that's how you pronounce Uh, it.
0: Right, Uh, Rick
2: Sessenhaus. He's the former editor, a good friend of mine. Right, uh,
1: right. He uh, was... Go ahead. Go
2: ahead, Ken.
1: No, I was just going to say he was on the show uh, a few years ago, and I remember his involvement with it as as well. I don't know know, what his involvement is now, if if any, but... uh, um, so I've, I've managed to, to meet a few people and, and I have, uh, certainly read the magazine a number of times. So I know it is a good, uh, a good publication. And I like the fact, like you said, uh, it, it is, um, you know, nothing but content and, and great tips and, and not, uh, you know, a lot of this other stuff that we get and, and, uh, you know, a little bit of that's okay. But, you know, if you're, if you're paying for, um, you know, a golf tip magazine then you want it to have, you know, a lot of golf tips in it, don't you agree?
2: I agree and and but to go on record I have the utmost respect for David Denunzio the instruction editor at Golf Magazine and Peter Morse mm-hmm. the instruction editor at Golf Digest. I, I know them both. Right. I consider them good business acquaintances. I got to know Peter quite a bit as you know I was a national director of instruction for Golf Digest schools for a little while. So I, I got an education behind the magazine end of things, and, and why magazines are put together the way they are. They're wonderful publications. Like yourself, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to renew, not because I'm not, not because I don't appreciate what the content is. Right. I'm so busy I haven't had the time to read it. <laughs> but when I do read it, I do tend to go more towards the instruction part of both of those magazines. And when I'm done, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of done the average golfer wants to know where to go play and what to wear and what's the best clubs and what's the best ball. And that's all good stuff. Uh, Golf Tips does a little bit of that, but it's not the main feature because the other two do a lot of that. You'll see the the bigger advertisers, the car dealerships, the the pharma companies, uh, the big travel agencies, the big credit card companies, Right. If everybody has all these publications have a place in the marketplace. If if I'll say it a little bit different way, but basically repeat what I said before, and that is, if you're really looking for a high value for your dollar magazine, if you're interested in finding out how to play better with <clears throat> thirty people that are on that list that are contributors to that publication year in year out produce some of the highest quality instruction pieces from a content, from a user-friendly and user experience standpoint, on a consistent basis year after year after year. It's a a very good publication for a person who's on the plateau looking to get over his his or her plateau to the next one, and you're going to find something in every issue to help you do that.
1: Yeah, it, it, well said, and uh, and I agree wholeheartedly. And, and, you know, that's what people want, is they want to be able to, to you know, get some good uh, good tips. And obviously, um, you know, the magazines serve a purpose, but uh, ultimately we want them coming out to see us and and having the opportunity to work and help uh, elevate their games. Uh, but that's certainly they can get some information in between and maybe uh, help to formulate some questions when they do come to see you. Um, speaking of tips, I, I thought I would start this off. I'm, I'm, we're going to continue on, John, here uh and and, and, sure. and when pete uh joins us uh, or, or something may have come up and he may have had to uh uh to something else uh, happening here. So we'll I'll keep an eye out for him here. But let's let's start out. And speaking of tips, I thought it'd be kind of an interesting question to to ask really both of you, but I'll 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 pose it to you. Um there there's really two parts to this question. The first uh question is um what is the best tip that you ever gave a student um Uh, and then obviously it can go back to you know yesterday 10 years ago whatever what's the best tip that you ever gave and what's the best tip that you ever received uh whether it be from a fellow pro or even maybe uh just through uh, another source what was the best tip that you gave and what was the best tip that you received
0: uh
1: i've got a
2: with with the amount of years I've been in this industry doing what I'm doing, uh, the the thousands upon thousands of tips that I've provided, I'd have to go back to something I've talked about on this program before, and that's alignment Mm -hmm. and how important alignment is these days to people's success, the flight scopes, you know, all the information we're gaining from ball flight monitors, flight scope and such, it, it tells us that if you can't point the arrow in the right direction, the Indian can't slay the prey. Right. It it is just so critically important. And over the years, it's become more and more obvious to me. Uh, There's lots of different ways of providing the communicative tip to get someone to understand how to align correctly. But I think the biggest tip I can give the audience is without proper alignment you've got a snowball's chance and you know where to hit your target anywhere close without compensating your swing somehow, some way. Most of the people it's a it's a crossing of the club and a opening or closing of the of the club face when you strike the ball. And ultimately it may be a little bit of deceleration because of poor alignment. Not necessarily maybe an open alignment, but definitely a closed alignment. And that's what I see most amateurs doing: is close to their target. If you just fixed your alignment, you'd be very, very surprised how many other things in your sling would be fixed. Yeah. Uh, from a from a receiving tips again, I've gotten a ton of them, but mm. I think the most apropos and the most fresh on my brain. I've started here in Orlando, Parkinson's Golf Day. Um, I've had a relative recently diagnosed mm-hmm. with Parkinson's and I felt like getting involved and there was nothing really here in Orlando from a Parkinson's standpoint to from a therapy or just go out and have fun and some camaraderie. And I, I taught someone Friday who's part of that group who played division one college golf in the late sixties, early seventies. Right. And He's got just a little bit of dementia, and I, his wife was out there, and I said, Let, let's see if we can open up this lockbox of his and see what comes out.
0: Hmm. And
2: what was supposed to be a 30-minute lesson for him turned into an hour and a half of us both trading golf stories and both trading tips. And wow. it, was, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It It was one of the best experiences I've had in quite a long time, because it sort of brought me back to some roots. It brought me back to uh, what what did we do years ago without the 340cc drivers or whatever they are now. I always carry a McGregor. I got a McGregor persimmon wood in my bag, so when my better players start complaining, they're not hitting the sweet spot, I'll pull (laughs) the McGregor wood out and say, here you go, hit this. And this gentleman who's up in age... Uh, has some issues with his shoulders. He got wind that I had it in my bag. He pulls it out and he proceeds to just bust it. Seventy wow. something years old and it was just and he's talking the whole time. It was, it huh. was surreal. I wish I'd videotaped it, uh, <laughs> but it, it was it was a really really fun time and it was it. Was, I turned around and looked at his wife and said, man, I, this is one of the best golf lessons I've ever given. It's one of the best ones I've ever had. Uh, that I've ever taken. It was just absolutely incredible. And it was really simplistic things. It it was just really simplistic. Hey, I want to turn it over from right to left. Well, this is what I'm going to do to do it. I'm like, go ahead and do it. Go do it. It was like watching a a carnival demo of a a really good golfer. Uh, So I would tell the audience you just never know where your next tip is going to come from, you obviously have to be concerned with who's giving it to you and what kind of experiences they have. Right. off and, and if they're providing it to you in a way that's relative to you and your needs, or if they're just spouting it out because it's the last and latest and greatest thing they've read or seen. Yeah. Uh, but this was more genuine. This was more here's a here's a guy who can play at one point he played a lot of amateur events, he tried to play the tour a little bit and this guy could play and it was just amazing to pick the vault of his I'm looking forward to doing more of that here shortly.
1: Well, you'll have to that's a fantastic story and um you know it it just goes to show you that you know you can have a lot of fun at this game on both sides, not just from the playing, you know, the player or the, the student side, but also from the coach's side and the teacher side, um, you know, and that's really what this is all about. I think if you make it fun and interesting uh, and not always just, you know, uh, certainly you have to get down to business at times, but you have to have fun along the way. And that's what I think makes it so enjoyable and why so many people get into golf, um, especially on the instruction side. I mean, playing, obviously, you know, we enjoy that aspect as well um that's a given but um from the instructional side you know if you make it fun uh then it's really not a job and uh and that really goes for anything but golf particular i'm i'm going to just chime in just a little bit on my own experience um you know as as you have john i mean i've given a lot of tips over the years but i think the one that really sticks to mind for me and this is uh, me giving tip and i do this with all of my students now is and we're going to touch on this a little bit in, in one of the later questions, uh, so I won't give away too much. But um, I, I want them to come ready, and and what I mean by that is I want them to come with number one, I want them to come with an open mind. Um, I don't want them to come with a preconceived notion that you know something that they've read somewhere else, it's got to be done this way or the latest greatest, as you as you touched on. So I want them to be ready when they come to the to the the uh, facility um, that I'm at, and and I want them to be. Um, not just ready to bring their best, but I want them to almost emulate a sponge. I want them to listen. I want them to learn. And I don't want them to be afraid to ask questions. So I, I want them to open their mind. I want them to, uh, and certainly they can have questions ahead of time if they want, but I want them to really listen to what it is that I have to say and then sort of gauge their questions from there. Uh, sometimes they come in and they, you know, things get off track if you're not too careful. So I, I try to Give them an opportunity to talk about some things after we've had, our, of course, our initial assessment, and I have a general idea of what it is they're looking for. Um, but I want them to be open-minded. A lot of people come to the golf course, I think, especially those that have been playing for a little while. They've maybe been, uh, you know, taking lessons somewhere else, and you know they've done some things that did okay, and other things that maybe didn't do as well. And right away, you know, they come very closed-minded, very skeptical sometimes. And uh, I've been very fortunate, to be honest. Uh, in, in my teaching because I, I work with pretty, pretty much now uh, corporate types and they have a specific agenda. They don't want to – one of two things. They either want to you know, win the, the tournaments uh, or they just don't want to look foolish on the golf course. So they're really very easy to, to fix in a lot of cases. Um, so that's really what I would say as far as a tip uh, given is is for them to be open-minded, um, be receptive to what, what it is that I'm explaining to them and then not to be afraid to engage back. In other words, I want them to ask me questions. I want them to say, well, why do I need to do this? Or why is that important? Uh, I don't want them to just sort of sit there like a, a wet potato and and just listen, listen, listen. So um, the other tip is something that I receive, which sort of works hand in hand, and that is to be a good listener. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we get going off on a tangent and forgive me for one second. Sorry, I thought I had to sneeze and I didn't want to do it in the mic. <laughs> But anyways, what um, what I was always taught very early on in business in general was to be a good listener and to listen to what my students or my customers want um, before I sort of go into my assessment. And I think that's probably from a coach's or a teacher's standpoint – in in my opinion, is is the number one thing is I think you have to be a good listener and to really listen to what they want and not just sort of impose what you think they need or what they might need. Um, You need to really understand what what it is they're after, what part of their game uh, are they struggling with, what is they want, you know, why are they playing golf? Are they just playing to have fun? Are they there to be somewhat competitive? And, um, you know, so I try to to be the best listener that I can. And sometimes I fall a little short uh, as I think we all do from time to time, but over the years, I think I've, I've gotten to be very good that way. So that would be my two answers there, um, for that particular question. Um, John, we're going to keep moving on here. And as I said, I'm not sure what's, uh, what's happened with Pete, but, uh, if he, if he jumps in, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring him on. Um, well, I know, I know
2: sec- Pete just so, just so the listeners know, I know Pete well and, uh, he and I've been on the show before, and I'll get his back for this one. Knowing Pete's probably <laughs> finishing up a lesson with somebody. Uh, yeah, uh, he was he was a visitor at my facility during the PGA show, and he was out there until dark thirty almost every night with his yeah. pupils out there. So, uh, well, yep. I certainly will cut him a break as you are, but
1: oh, yeah. just want to have
2: yeah. those who may have been tuning in to listen to him. That's that's a that's, he's a very dedicated coach.
1: Yeah, he's doing what he does best, and and uh, glad glad for it. You know, we got plenty of opportunities throughout the the year to to have you guys on, so I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um, all right, so let's go on. One of the things that, that John that doesn't really get talked about a lot, um, and we've talked a little bit here and there, and I know it's difficult when we don't have the visual component uh, here to to really tackle this one. But um, bunker play is really a nemesis for many many golfers. Um, what are some tips that we can maybe give them to make it a little bit easier for some of the amateurs to get it out of the sand, because that's something that a lot of amateurs uh, really fear is, is hitting it out of the sand. Um, You know, fairway bunker is a little bit different. It's not quite as as daunting, but when you get up close and especially if you've got a tight pin, um, that's maybe just a foot or two uh, on the green and you've got a bunker, you've hit the ball in the bunker uh, right away you know, panic sets in. So what are some tips? What do you try to do when you're helping your students with, with bunker play? How do you get them relaxed and, and comfortable and, and prepared to, to execute the shots they need to?
0: Well,
2: there to me, it, it breaks down into conquering the fear and understanding what the fear may or may not be. Number two, having a clear understanding what the objective is, and that's to get the ball out. And quite honestly, I think the most overtaught part of our game right now, with all due respect to all the different parts, is the bunker game. Uh, When you hear about open the face, close the face, do this, do that, it's no wonder that everybody has some issues. So when when I step back a second and talk about fear, is the fear really about being in the sand or is the fear about how to set up and do things, how you were taught to correctly do them, and will they work for
0: you? Uh, right,
2: you, you've really got to understand what that fear is and, and how to conquer it. Let's face it, unless you play a course that's heavily bunkered, you're probably going to be in a greenside bunker two, maybe three times out of a round. So right. place that in a perspective situation as to how many, what's the percentage of shots I'm going to hit out of a bunker in any given round. It's less than 5%. So we don't, as golfers in general, practice a lot of bunkers. The the facility where I am has a massive bunker. It doubles as a fairway bunker. I may see out of the 200-plus people that go through that facility in a day, I may see 10 that will take their time, go in a bunker, and actually practice it. So when we talk about fear, if you're not practicing something, you're darn right you should be fearful of it because you just haven't prepared. Uh, so that's that's the first fear you have to get over. The second fear as far as all the tech, technicality is to dig the feet in and you can't ground the club and the, the bounce of the club's got to do this and the more you do this, the more you do that, just on and on and on. What it ends up being is too much paralysis by too much analysis. I think when you make bunkers very, very simple and that is all you're trying to do is hit a consistent place behind the ball as if that place is the ball if you're on the fairway that you too realize that the modern day wedges are so much more advanced and so much more thought out that you can be absolutely somebody new to the game and if all I did was draw a line behind the ball and said, gave me the club and said, here, just hit the line. If you did that, most of the time the ball will achieve the, mat, the ultimate objective, getting out of the bunker. Uh, and then three, just so long as you're keeping the leading edge of the golf club facing where you want the ball to go, you're in great shape lastly deceleration it's it's huge we see it all the time where people are just trying to lift the ball up out of the bunker with their arms and slows the ball slows the club down rather and you decelerate when you watch the re, we're i'm sort of going back to this what we were talking about earlier is the watching pros and i would tell people mimic the pros watch them and mimic them if you want to know how to play great bunker shots. Look at the South Africans and look at the Australians. They don't subscribe to the notion that you don't turn your waist, that you don't make a weight shift, that you don't necessarily move weight into that forward leg and you have very little on the back leg, a la a full swing. They all do. And they figured out long, long ago, whether it's, geographic in nature or just the, the tutelage of the mentoring that's trickled down, that the club's got to accelerate through the sand for it to work properly. So when you look at an Adam Scott, an Ernie Ells, a Gary Player, a Steve Elkington, who was an absolute magician out of the bunkers,
0: yep. these
2: guys – that they they just put it right where it is. Kari Webb comes to mind, too. I watched Kari Webb years ago at a tournament in Myrtle Beach, and she was in a couple bunkers, and it was it was just nothing to her. She just, boom, in, set the club up, make sure she's in the right position, make a swing that's accelerated, and it works. And I think it's, if you really simplify the process for the average amateur, that's the leading edge pointing where you want to go, if you have to open up the club so be it. That's fine. Just make sure the leading edge is still pointing there. If that's the case, you're probably going to have to open up your stance a little and find a consistent place to hit behind the ball and accelerate, allowing the sand to propel the, the ball out. It's literally that simple. There's no need to make it any more complicated than what it is. And when you can get in there and feel that confident that it's that simplistic, you're you're literally promoting yourself. To hit it out of the bunker in a more consistent way, you can gain some confidence that way very, very quickly.
1: Yeah, and well said. And and one thing I I do um, to add on to that, uh, I mean, and everything you said is is spot on. Um, so I, I won't repeat it all. But um, one thing I do, John, with with some of the the uh, students that I work with, some of the corporate people, is if I if you know through our discussions, if I see that they're really um, very apprehensive to hit out of the bunker, you know, I'll say to them, well, why are you aiming, uh, you know, as I gave the scenario earlier, if the if the pin is very close up to the front and they're in that front bunker um, and there's plenty of room, you know, left or right to to sort of a, a, what I would call a safe bailout area, why not aim for that area instead of trying to, to, you know, sort of pull off, a you know, a shot that can even be difficult for the pros sometime? And what I tend to do with some of my students is I'll say, if you 're not comfortable hitting out of the bunker, then don't aim directly at your ultimate target. Aim a little bit you know left or right depending on on the shape of the green and and the the uh, area that you have um, you know on the green to work with and and do that for every time you get in the bunker until you get that confidence and are able to hit it out and then slowly change that your direction in other words aim a little bit closer to your target uh, as you gain more confidence and i what i found john that that a lot of people have have done doing that uh specific tip is they'll get it out of the bunker that that fear has you know because they know they're shooting for a much bigger target area that fear sort of subsides a little bit and they're just happy to be out of the bunker um, what I find with a lot of people, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well over, over the years, John, is once it's just like, you know, a practice swing. You know, when you you can hit 100 practice swings and everybody does it great, but as soon as you put that white ball in front of them, suddenly, you know, that, that anxiety creeps in. So I think by by taking away some of that anxiety and just having them execute a shot – that uh gives them a little bit more forgiveness, if you will, I guess the word I'm looking for seems to help alleviate that anxiety, and then, as they gain confidence over time, then i'll gradually work them back towards the target a little bit and because they've been hitting you know shot after shot, and i 'll do this in practice, and I'll tell them to do it uh out on the golf course when they're playing it around as well as just you know play a safer shot, take that anxiety away, and uh you know and don't uh you know hit your shot to that specific target if you're not comfortable doing that. And I found over time that has helped them to to be able to execute the shots a little bit more. Have you done anything similar to that yourself?
2: I have. What you're talking about is I'd call it uh, incremental learning. Uh, right. Businesses call it scaling. How can we scale this up from the bare basic to where we need it to be? And I do do that a lot. And basically where I start, especially with the average amateur, is let's just hit the sand in the same place. I don't even worry about target. It's secondary. Let's just get the ball out. And a real simple drill for someone to do is just draw a five-foot line and start at the left side of that line and just learn how to hit the sand in the same place. If your divot Mm -hmm. starts at that line, and goes through, you know what? Your chances of hitting a good bunker shot are great. And if it comes down behind the line, you know that you're probably trying to lift the ball up in some way, casting the club, ice cream scooping it, whatever you want to call it. You're just not hitting consistently. And then at the end of that five-foot line, as you walk towards the end of it, place a couple of balls there and realize that all you're trying to do is hit the line. And if you hit the line, the ball is extracted, It's really, really fun from an instructor standpoint to see someone smile when they see a video of themselves, hey, I can hit the line. And then if all I do is hit the line, the ball happens to get in the way and it gets out, that's huge. And, And that's the first part of how I try to get someone to understand it. Once they can do that in a more consistent way, then we can start introducing distance or direction, height, high, low, is it going to release? Right. Is it, are you trying to get it to stop? But what people have to realize is you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And if you have no starting point, how do you know where you're going? If you don't know where you're going, you may as well just be having some exercise in the sand, lay a towel down there and put a lot of sunscreen on and get the jam box out.
0: <laughs> but
2: let's have a
1: party.
0: Yeah, uh, you're so right. It,
2: it, that's all it is. is learning where you are right now and, Scaling your experience, so like you said, you can create some confidence in that part of your game. Again, it's not a huge part, but it could no. be a part that causes that big blow-up hole simply because you did not get the ball out with the first swing.
1: Right, right, exactly. And that's why I do what I do, I think, with uh, – I mean, obviously – um, you know the people that I'm working with that, that have you know got a little bit more confidence, a little bit more experience, and you know I might try some other things if they're struggling a little bit. But for for some of those newcomers to the game, uh, or for those that maybe don't uh, have the skill set, if you will, to to execute that, and it's really not as difficult as people make it out to. The other uh, common thing, and this will be the last uh, on, on bunkers, and then then we'll move on. But um, is a lot of people end up not understanding how the bounce of their sandwich works and they end up digging into the the leading edge of the club and it it ends up, you know, digging through to China and, you know, trying to move heaven and earth. uh, And and that's like you said, that that sort of ice cream scoop uh, approach to it. They're coming in too steep into the ball and that leading edge is just digging in and and digging in. Um, So, you know, obviously the setup is is very important, but some great points there, John. And and, uh, I think, uh, I think that will give people a general understanding that, um, what they need to do. And, and, and bunker shots are really not as scary, uh, as what a lot of people make it out to be, but you're right. It, it does represent a very small percentage of your round. Um, it does need to be practiced, it does need to be addressed. Uh, but you don't have to spend, you know, hours upon hours hitting at a bunkers, um, when you're only in a, you know, a small percentage of your round. Um, and this sort of rolls into another question, John, sort of on the same lines, um, about, about technique and, you know, do most, golfers do you think most of the students that you're working focus too much on technique today and not enough on the result? Uh, and if so, should we, you know, how do we change that or or should we? And, and the reason why I say that is, you know, we, we you talked about earlier about all the, the latest and greatest things out there in, in, in instruction and in teaching and everybody is so preoccupied about having the perfect swing and executing perfectly. Um, but as we, you and I both know, I've been around for a little while that a lot of great players over the years um, you know nicholas Trevino player all had different swings. They weren't all pitcher perfect, but they had good results. Are we spending too much time on technique, not necessarily as instructors but as as players um and not enough on on the results?
2: There's a lot of talk out there. you know it as well as I do, and I think the general public start to hear it again uh there There's been a little lapse or a little downturn in instruction for a lot of different reasons. I think one of the reasons are that we have bombarded the average golfer with the smallest of minutiae for them to remember uh, in a lot of different ways. And I've been guilty of it. I'll probably continue to be guilty of it, but more, more so on an individual basis versus, say a collective basis of all my clientele. The, I sort of break it down by handicap. It, it, until you're about a 15 handicap, let's get you around the golf course in the shortest amount of strokes possible that
1: sure.
2: utilizes the efficiency of your decision-making and your current skills. And I don't talk about it as technique. I don't talk about it as exact positions. I use a general term called skills, and I break it down. Can What's your skill to hit a green? To get it out of a bunker. How's your putting skills? What about your chipping skills? Can you? How are your skills from hitting it low to high, or high to low, or left to right, or right to left? And when you can develop some of these skills, just half of of a tour pro, let's say, Mm
0: -hmm. but
2: then use a really simple approach to what I call conservative aggression. Let's make a decision that's conservative enough where you can feel that like you can be aggressive and with every shot. And when you can start doing those kinds of things and get down to a 15, why, why are we ultra worried about where the club is halfway back from a technique standpoint of view? Right. Why are we worried about the club closed at the top or open at the top? It's small minutiae that can really take at the average amateur and send them off in a never never land if they are miscommunicated too in the slightest ways. I am a little bit more results oriented. I'd like to have people understand let's just hit a target. And yep. let's free ourselves up to hit that target. Now that's not to say that if I as I'm teaching them I see that they general sense can set up better to a shot. Sure. It's a short game shot or a full swing shot that allows them better efficiency. Am I really changing their technique? Uh, maybe. I think the person takes more ownership of that. I think the coach takes more ownership of putting the student in a posi- in a better position to succeed. And if that means that we're going to change your angle of the time, we're going to change your uh, alignment, we're going to change your weight or posture somehow, or we're going to change ball position, I think the, the more adaptable players will adapt to a, a technique that's efficient for them. It's rare that I've got to fully teach a technique from, from scratch, start to finish, because the person doesn't know what I'm talking about. When it comes to a 15 or below handicap, there probably is a little bit more technique because it's going to take a little bit more effort a little bit more deeper focus, and a little bit more commitment to get into that single digit. And it it exponentially is a smaller amount of things you can change, but an exponentially bigger amount of time and purpose to get down to those single digit handicaps. There's quite a few big things to change when you're shooting in the 100s and the 90s, when you're shooting in the 80s and 70s, now we are talking about smaller things, Right. and I'm still talking about skills. I'm not necessarily talking about a technique. I may talk about a process to get to that ultimate end, to, to start to be more forward-thinking. But I think if the average amateur, the listener out there, tonight, says, you know what, I, I buy into what John's saying. Let me develop better skills at PEC. When he develop better skills at putting, at driving, and hitting targets from within 120 yards, they're bound to improve simply because they take their focus off of all this minutia and focus it more on freeing themselves up to do what it is they're trying to do.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree. I agree with that, John, because I, I think that one of the and the reason why I wanted to ask that question and and, and it's when I'm referring to technique, I'm not you know talking about uh, you know, necessarily a, a, necessarily a, a swing theory or, or a thought that, that may be going around right now or or has been for the last, you know, five years in golf instruction. But I think that sometimes this has been some of the frustration for the average golfer out there is that there's been a lot of emphasis made on getting everything just right and just perfect. And, you know, if you look at a lot of, you know, Jim Furick's a, 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 a good one that comes to mind, of course, you know, he's got a lot of the, the the right things going on in his swing, but he's got, you know, a little loop there at the top, which, you know, by some people's standards uh, may not be picture perfect, but it's a swing that works for him, and the results are, have been phenomenal for him over his career so far. So, you know, to take somebody just because it's not, you know, gelling in, in the, the mold, if you will, I mean, we've we got to remember, John, and I know you know this, Um, but I want the listeners to really understand this. We are all individual and unique beings and we're all different and we're meant to be different for a reason. And I think if sometimes, you know, not just in golf, but in, in everyday life, we're trying to, everybody's trying to get into the same box. And I think this is what's made, uh, you know, it very difficult for a lot of people out there is, is some people can do, you know, uh, certain things one way and some people can do it a different way. Um, but each way might work best for those individuals. And I think we the, the one thing that we have to be careful about in, in golf instruction is that we don't try to put everybody into the same box. And I think for a while there, um, it, it seems to be going into reverse now, but for a while there, I think it was kind of going down that path. And, um, you know, you, you just can't do that. Uh, I think if, if somebody's, you know, shooting 70 or, or even in the, in the low 80s, um, for the average amateur that's a pretty decent score and so you're not going to really want to make major changes to somebody that's shooting a score like that because ultimately what will end up happening uh john is they're going to start creeping back up into a hundred um because now they, they've got to reinvent the wheel so i think like you said i think what we need to do is is once we get them down to a certain level whether it be you know 15 or 12 or whatever the handicap is it's a decent handicap then we can make some minor tweaks along the way to, to help improve that, to get them even a little bit lower, but not a major change. And, and I think you would agree with that, correct?
2: Absolutely. And, and two examples that stick out in my brain. Uh, I just picked up a new student recently who uh, shoots in the hundreds and it needs a lot of work on a lot of different things, but I'm trying to get him to understand the fun of the game so he'll want to get out and play more often. And our first session, about half the time I had to redirect him away from things he was reading in magazines and watching on TV and on YouTube about his backswing. And the reason for it was he was, I call it, Velcro-footed to the ground. He, yeah. he just could not make a weight shift. Combine that with being aimed about 25 degrees close to his target, there was no way he was going to make a weight shift without wrenching his lower back. So, as much as he was, as as much as he's absorbed and he's, he absorbed a whole lot of information from a technical standpoint to make this perfect backswing, what he was forgetting about was the ultimate end: can I get the club through the ball, literally through the ball? That's something I'm teaching a lot of. Now is what's the difference between hitting it and getting through the shot? Uh, and especially with that kind of golfer, once I finally got him weaned off of what he was reading and what he was seeing and I had him understand that, let's just make a weight shift, let's get a line correctly, and let's square the golf club because you're capable of doing this. You're incapable of it in these other positions. That's why you've manifested yourself back to, what's my backswing looking like? What difference right. does your backswing look like if you're aim 25 degrees to the right that's where you're going to hit it and if you try to fix your back swing based on 25 degrees right you're definitely going to hit it more right than you're accustomed to because you're making a better swing so let's just let's just get to there and then the other example of, of one of my son's friends who i help out quite a bit uh 13 years old he's wanting to play more he's trying to get better and Because of the different people he's met throughout his life and the different things he's done, he's getting really tied up in the perfection of the game. And and I've got to be able to hit this perfect strike all the time. And what he's forgetting about is he's hitting a lot of greens and he's getting opportunities to make a lot of putts. He's so tied up in this perversion, for lack of a better way of saying it, of hitting perfect shots. That right. he's literally forgotten at the age of ten or age of thirteen of <laughs> what it is to go out and just play and have some fun and realize what kind of skills you have. So that's uh, uh, that's something I work with him on quite a bit,
0: uh,
2: and not as not as often as I'd like, simply because I don't, he he just chooses not to get a lot of instruction. But typically, that's the way I get him grounded back. To where he's more successful. The times he's playing in a junior tournament, that he's thinking technique all the time and perfection. Right. He's shooting. He's he's horrible. The, the, the scores are just not indicative of what his potential is. And when we can free him up, just let him think about, hey, let's get set. Let's get the machine set up so the machine when turned on works properly. And let's just focus on a target and have some fun doing it. See what kind of things we can do along the way. His scores improve immensely. Yeah,
1: and 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 that's a that's a really great uh, a great um, point as well. You know, a lot of the problem is, as I've said many many times, with with many of the students out there um, that are that are struggling with their games. What they often do is, again, in order to emulate what they've seen or heard or read about. it creates a level of frustration because they're not able, as I said, everybody's different. We're all different. You know, I might have a swing that emulates um, a particular player. It doesn't necessarily mean it's exact, but it may have certain uh, consistencies to to a player that's my height and build uh, and my body type. Um, there may be some similarities, but somebody that that is completely different body type and, and shape and size than me uh, might not be able to emulate or not be able to to do some of the same things that I can do. Now, even though, Um, the fundamentals might be the same, uh, you know, from a general standpoint, there are certain things that are going to be different. And I think this has added to the level of frustration for a lot of golfers out there is because they're all trying to, you know, as I mentioned a few moments ago, trying to get into that same box and it's just not going to, you know, it's just not going to happen for everybody the same way. So you have to be mindful of that. And that's where your, your coach or your teacher comes in um, to be able to assess your game and to be able to take the strengths that you have and and add you know a few things here and there to to bring out the best that you have to 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 be able to work with and not try to to change you to uh fit into somebody else's pattern or somebody else's mold and I think that's been a problem that has gone on for a little while, even though the intentions were good, I think the results uh were not for for many many people, and that added to the frustration i think john and and caused a lot of people to to shy away. Uh, and, and, you know, get out all all together or certainly lessen their exposure just because of of the the level of of frustration. Um, I want to move on here because we only got a few more minutes left, but uh, this is actually two different questions, but I'm going to roll them into one here real quick just to to make up for time. Um, The First part of it, what I want you to answer, John, is with new students, um, you know, this is a brand-new student right out of the box, if you will. What do you – what should new students do to prepare for their first lesson with you and then, what should a student do uh, before coming back for additional lessons?
2: Two really simple answers. Uh, the first one is when, when you come to the first lesson, be prepared to have some fun. Be prepared to have an open mind. Be prepared to to experience something. Just one thing, one golden nugget to take home with you. To, to keep you motivated to do the things you need to do, because when you come back, it's fruitless to come back if you haven't taken that one golden nugget, applied it and and honed it and made it your own uh when i was a when I was teaching at private clubs all too often someone would buy a series of five lessons and they'd want to take a lesson. Every fifth day, every Friday, or every Thursday, whatever the case may be. And I never see them come back to the (laughs) golf course. And they've got a sizable investment in their equity membership to this golf course. And they show up every Thursday for a lesson. The very first one is, hey, why are you here and what do you want to learn? And they're like, well, I don't know, but I want to get this and this and this done. And right. when you try to get them to do it, maybe they're not as open minded as you'd like. They have this preconceived notion of what it should or shouldn't be. Go to that first lesson, and you used the term earlier, sponge. I think that's a yep. great analogy, a, a great way of thinking of yourself as a as a player, as a golfer. Can be willing to absorb everything you can. Be willing to write notes, take notes. It's it's a fantastic way of retaining, and. Before you go back for that next one, make sure you put some dedicated time into what you and your coach have worked on because if you've got a good coach, that coach is trying to build that scalability model where what you're learning today is the foundation for what's going to be taught later on, what you're going to be coached on in a week or two weeks or a month or two months or whatever the case may be. And I think if you look at things from that perspective, you can't go wrong. When you've got an expectation that all i got to do is show up and I'm going to learn and I'm going to get better, you know what? You deserve to be disappointed. I hate to be that blunt, but you deserve to be disappointed yep. because you haven't taken ownership of what that sponge absorbed. You just let it sort of dry. You put it out on the deck or out out on the in the garage and you just sort of let it dry there, and, and it did nothing. You you didn't use it to do what you needed to do. And As much as I talk in analogies, what it, what it basically boils down to is just keep an open mind throughout, be prepared, and not necessarily do what your coach tells you to, take ownership of what the two of you discuss between each other and put some time in before the next one because that coach doesn't want to go through the same thing over and over and over again. Good coaches will. A not-so-great coach is going to give in and teach you something that you're not ready for, and all that's going to do is exacerbate your frustration later on.
1: Right. You know, something that I do, John, and I've, I've done this quite a few times over the years, is what I will do, um, I certainly, as you do, I encourage people to take notes. But what I try to do, because it can be difficult if you're, you know, if you're trying to explain something to them and, and they're not really focused and paying attention, I try to break up the lesson in such a way that, you know, I'll spend a few minutes going over a specific idea or or, or aspect that I want them to to, you know, be aware of or or focus on, and then we'll actually stop midstream, uh, you know, before we continue on with the rest of the lesson, and I'll actually with them, we'll take sort of notes together. In other words, I'll help them and say, okay, we talked about this here, we talked about that there, and let them sort of almost like a review, if you will, of, of what we just discussed. So it's it's kind of like, you know, it might be 15 minutes, we might have uh, progressed through the lesson, and then we'll stop and take two or three minutes and, and jot some notes down and make some, um, you know, recommendations based on that. And then we'll continue on. So that way, it, it's it, the time is uninterrupted through the actual lesson portion itself, uh, and then they've got a, a time to sort of review what they've just been taught. And it gives them a, chi- a chance to also collect their thoughts and ask questions if they're confused. Because what I find sometimes is people, if they're getting too involved in taking the notes and not really listening to, to what's being said, they're just writing, 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 then when it comes time later, that everything's sort of disorganized. So I try to help them by taking those two or three minutes or even five minutes, depending on the, on the difficulty um, helping them to compose the notes and what they should be looking for and, and doing it in, in a way that's going to be easy for them to review later when they're away from the golf course. And I agree exactly with what you said too, about the, um, about the point if, if they're, you know, if I'm going to explain something to them and, and, and show them something, I don't want them to go away and come back next Thursday, whatever the case may be, and not have really given it's, due diligence to that specific uh, task at hand, because there's no point, like you said, if they sign up for a group of five lessons or whatever the case may be uh, and they're just going to go and, 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 you know, go through the lesson and not do anything in between any exercise or anything to really adhere to what they've been taught, then it's just a waste of time and money on their part. They're going to get frustrated and they're not going to come back. So I always make it very clear, you know, from the get go when somebody comes in uh, for the first time, is I want them to have a clear understanding of what uh, I'm going to do for them and what I expect of them. And if they're not prepared to do that, then I'm not going to spend my time. Uh, It's not that I don't want to help them, but I know I'm setting myself up for failure with that particular individual because I know that they're not going to really come uh, into it with an open mind and not willing to to put in the work because the bottom line is golf can be easy or it can be very difficult. It can be easy if you're willing to apply yourself um, and, and, What I mean by easy is it's easier to grasp the concepts and to, um, uh, you know, go through the motions than it is if you don't do the the in-between the lessons. Uh, You know, it's like a test. If you don't study for the test, um, you're not likely going to pass. So um, some great tips, John, some great advice. And I think that um, together we'll help students navigate through this difficult journey sometimes. And it's, it's a lot of fun, though, isn't it?
2: It is a lot of fun. We certainly don't do it to get rich, I can tell you that. But we can, we certainly do it because we like passing things on, we like mentoring, we we like to see people smile, and we want to see people have fun. One of the things I'd like to sort of summate. We, we've touched on a lot of things. Uh, I, one of the questions I ask all my new students, which I rarely hear other coaches ask, is why do you play golf? And I think this is something that it, it's not to ridicule yourself or to do anything of harm so much as really more or less take an inventory of why is it that I play golf? Is it for the fun? Is it because it's going to get me somewhere in business? Is it because my spouse plays and I want to spend more time with them, my spouse? You know, There's tons and tons and tons of reasons why people play golf. And as a coach, I realize that, and that's why I ask. But sometimes I'm very surprised when I ask that question someone can't give me an answer. So for those of you out there that have never really thought about that question, why do you play golf day, hour, minute, whatever it is, really sort of figure out why is it that I'm playing golf and be committed to that why answer to continue to play golf not not because of anybody else is pushing you in that direction or another direction not because you think it's an obligation not because it's anything other than this is why i play golf and I, once you can figure out why you play golf it becomes a lot simpler game
1: yeah i i agree wholeheartedly well, John, I want to thank you for for coming on the panel discussion tonight. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Pete wasn't able to join us in time to uh, to complete this segment. But uh, I know that we will have him on again the next time. And I want to thank you for for helping me uh, spend this last hour. And, and hopefully, we've helped some people and answered some questions. And I think it's important that that people understand that you know what we have to deal with on a uh, on a daily basis and, and what we try to look for in order to help these students and, and sort of the approach that we take and why we do the things that we do. So it's always good to have those questions, um, you know, to help out. But I want to thank you, John, as always. And, and John, just to let her, uh, the listeners out there, for those that want to get in touch with you, uh, how can they go about do that? Where can they go and get more information about, uh, about John Hughes Golf?
2: Sure. it's My website is com. Uh, my email address and business telephone numbers. There you'll find a lot of interesting information about me, the programs I'm doing. Uh, I'm located Falcons Fire Golf Club in the suburb of Orlando called Kissimmee, right there near all the neat theme parks. It's a fantastic facility. Orlando's best public golf course for 2015. We're open. We get that recognition again for 16. It's got a wonderful practice facility is in great shape we're doing a lot of rounds there and looking forward to 16 being a year that we really open up some doors to for player development there and that's what we're focusing on so if you're trying to get a youngster involved you're looking for a place to vacation and learn a little something or you're just what you live in the local area and, and want to figure out why you play golf and how i can play it better by all means contact me John at johnhughesgolf.com. It's as simple as it is.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you, John, as always. Uh, it's a pleasure um, having you on the program. And uh, not only much continued success with John Hughes Golf, but uh, good luck as well uh, with the uh, Golf Tips magazine. I know you're going to be a great contributing editor uh, and provide some useful information for uh, for that magazine and publication. And I know that it's only going to add to uh, the many others that are already there. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to having you back on the show again.
2: Well, I appreciate the honor, Ted. Appreciate you being, being with you this evening. I hope you have a great evening.
1: You too. Have a great weekend, John. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. All right. That was John Hughes uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. Um, interesting discussion. You know, John has always got some great uh, tips and advice for. For a lot of students out there, of course, he's a uh, a master professional, PJ master professional, and uh, vice president of the North Florida uh, PJ section, and uh, just a a great guy. And and now, as he he mentioned earlier, he's going to be part of the uh, Golf Tips magazine. He's going to be contributing editor, so I look forward to some great articles there, so make sure that you... uh, yeah you you check out the magazine and look for some of john uh, john's uh, articles uh, coming up in in the upcoming months um my very special guest uh, coming up right now of course is Allison Kurt she's a uh, PGA master professional in instruction and also an LPGA uh professional as well uh, director of instruction at the Wood Ranch Golf Club and uh, she's also a marriage and family therapist registered intern and uh, she was the uh teacher of the year in 2012 for the LPGA teachers and club professionals Western Teacher of the Year, plus she's TPI certified, uh, also a featured instructor on Golf Channel's Swing Fix. So without any further ado, let's uh, welcome Allison Kurt. Good evening, hey, Alison. How welcome. are
3: you
1: doing? Uh, I'm Hi, doing very thank well. I'm,
3: you.
1: I'm doing very well. How are you doing?
3: Fantastic. Really well to chat with you again.
1: Not a problem. I'm glad to have you back on the show. I know lots of things have been happening, so let's, uh, let's get right into it if we can. And... Uh, one of the first questions, obviously, I know that you just recently, uh, as you were, you had mentioned to me before, uh, you were just, uh, I, once again, uh, Teacher of the Year. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, very, very exciting. I won the 2015 LPGA National Teacher of the Year, so it is uh, the definite highlight of my career thus far. <laughs> I was um the Western section chapter, or Western section teacher of the year and the L P G is broken up into a different um, different sections and so each right. section winner then goes on to the ballot um to have the opportunity to win national teacher of the year. So very, very talented and bright women also won and hard hard competition but the committee selected me to be the, the national teacher of the year. So that is very exciting. And some also great news that I may not have shared with you last week mm. is that I learned that I was the two thousand fifteen Southern California PGA Northern Chapter Teacher of the Year as well. Oh, so it's been a very, wow. very successful year.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna have to may I'm gonna have to figure out how I can get all of this in because you've got so many accolades just adding on to your your repertoire now. I don't know if I'll be able to get it in all all the show. So um, that that's fantastic. Congratulations. Well, uh, well uh, earned and well deserved. Um, Michelle, let me ask you, or sorry, part pardon me. Allison. let me ask you this uh, question. One of the things I wanted to talk about is, uh, as I mentioned in the, in the intro there, uh, you're doing some stuff with the Golf Channel now. So tell us what you're doing uh, for the Golf Channel. You're filming some tips and things like that, but give us a little bit more uh, background on how that came about. Sure.
3: The LPGA has a partnership with the Golf Channel. Last year they highlighted a couple of instructors and the, each instructor filmed about a 90 second, a minute to 90 second tip. And they would air during um, transitioning to commercial breaks from uh, Michael Breed's Golf print Fix or Martin Hall's School of Golf and some of those different programming. So they would highlight a couple of the LPGA top LPGA teachers. Well, this year, My name was in the mix, uh, as well as some very other talented women. And so we had the opportunity to head down to Daytona and do a day's worth of filming. And I did about five different tips that are going to air throughout the year on the Golf Channel. And it seems like each month is sort of going to be a different theme, highlighting a different aspect of the game. So they'll pair up our uh, content with that theme for the month. So it was a wonderful experience, very blessed. To be in that select group of top instructors, to even be considered a top instructor from the LPGA is, a, is wow. an amazing thought. So a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see how the content is produced.
1: Well, and, and you know, that's just, uh, again, the more exposure that you can get, um, you know, and recognition that you get helps, obviously, for, for your um, business, but it also you know, helps you to understand and, and and be able to look at ways that you can help to grow the game. And you know, that exposure is good for for golf in general. The more exposure that you get, um, the more attention it draws to the sport. And I, I think anything that we can do this day and age, with so much you know, there, there's so much competition for people's time nowadays. And I think this is one thing that really, for a long time, was overlooked from the uh, golfing community. I mean, you know, we, we talk about the recession and we talk about all these other things that sort of has caused a little bit of a, a decline in golf in general. Um, but really one of the other things I think is just the, uh, the fact that um, there has been so much out there between social media and all these other things that compete with people's time. And I'm sure um, that you would agree that we have to find a way of making golf sort of in the focal point with a lot of people's interest. So in other words, you know, instead of just, uh, you know, planning to to go on a vacation, we want to somehow get them to to plan golf in there as well if we can, correct?
3: I agree. I think that there is also just a lot of content that is out there. So not only are we competing for their attention, but if we get their attention, we can't bog them down with all of this different content and tips and do this and do that. (laughs) So one thing that I found that was really really fun with the LPGA instructors that were doing some of this content is that all of our tips came across as very simple and fun, and I hope yeah. that when people see these tips, they're you know when we are able to capture them for that minute to 90 seconds, they're going to walk away and say, "Hey, I want to try that out. That looks like a lot of fun," and then they're going to notice that it helps their golf game. But some of my personal agendas have been if people don't have time to come out to the course and do this because it does take up a lot of their time, well, what can they do at home? And if they are traveling and they don't have an opportunity to play 18 holes at a resort course, but maybe they're currently in a lesson program, what can they do with the small amount of time that they do have to work on their game in a hotel room or at home or if they're uh, caught indoors during winter break? So I think we need to be creative just as an industry when we are uh, blessed enough to capture their time, how can we make it fruitful for them so that they enjoy it and that they want to spend more of their time with us?
1: Well, and, and well said. And I think the other thing too, Allison, that we have to keep in mind is more and more families are trying to find activities, uh, especially when they've got young kids, that they can do as a family. And And because golf has traditionally been thought of as an individual sport, a lot of people don't realize that there are some great opportunities to engage the family. You know, uh, you might have dad might be traditionally might have been the one that's played. Now he's you know gotten his his spouse to to be playing. Um, now we want to look at ways of, of getting the kids involved, so that again not just on vacation time, but just maybe on a weekend that they they can get the, the kids involved as well. So I think we have to find ways of, of making it kind of a family affair as opposed to just an individual sport. And that doesn't mean that they can't go and, you know, do their own things independently uh, as adults, but I think that they, we need as an industry to find ways to encourage. And it's not just all about getting them out in the golf course, playing a round of golf. There needs to be other activities. And I think there's a lot of them starting to come out in the industry right now um, where it's not just, uh, you know, playing 18 holes. There's other activities um, that are being introduced that are golf related, that's kind of gets them to, you know, gets that bug if you will in their system so that they'll want to come out and and play uh, golf at another time, but at least gets them interested in the sport. And I think if we can get them to do that as a family, I think that's also going to help grow the game.
3: I agree. It it relates to me because that's sort of how I was brought up in the game is, you know, my father played golf. My mother had played golf when, when she was a kid, but, um, hadn't had a lot of time with it and so my brother and I became involved in the sport and we were involved in, jun- in junior golf so now the whole family could do it mom would come out and we would have family golf and it was a, a great community to be at a club where we could go swim and then play tennis and then go play right. golf together as a family and so that that relates to me because that's sort of how I grew up into the game and then you know, as my brother and I grew older, we were able to individuate into our own sports and, and see what we um, wanted to specialize in. But even to this day, as we're as we're grown, we can still come together as a family and go right. enjoy a round of golf together. And I, I love how the PGA is really supporting branching out more into just having, you know, junior golf. There's now PGA Juniors uh, League. And it makes yep. it more of a game based, fun, competitive. We're seeing instructors coming out with very innovative I- ideas who are, especially in California, we're combining surfing right. with golf. Uh, so right. that the kids have an opportunity to go to the beach and then they can come out to the golf course. So I'm, I'm glad the industry is starting to open up their mind where we're making golf more fun, besides, hey, here's your clubs, go play nine holes and then we'll see you when you're done. There's activities that are, that are being thrown in and integrated to make it much more diverse and, and fun to capture kids' attention, and even include the family as a whole.
1: Yeah, I, and, and that's a great idea, too. You know, I, I like that idea of, of combining something. I, I know that there are some uh, groups out there that have soccer as well. They've actually converted um, some of the golf courses that they're dealing with where they'll actually have, in adjacent to the traditional hole, Um, an area that that somebody can go, and and I forget now what they – I think it's called foot golf, if I'm not mistaken. And Mm -hmm. they use it with a soccer ball. So this, again, it kind of combines another sport – into sort of a golf vernacular, if you will. And, and I like that idea because not everybody, you know, I think what, what the misconception with a lot of people, especially some of the kids growing up, is when they think of golf and they think of kids, they're thinking, okay, somebody that's playing on a golf team or, you know, uh, into collegiate and then eventually, you know, into some other uh, um, tournaments and things like that. And they don't think of it as a recreational thing. They think of it as purely competitive. And golf doesn't always have to be competitive. I mean, you're competing on some level, um, but you just go out and have fun, and it can be a great mm-hmm. way to to spend some time. And you don't have to spend 18, uh, you know, 18 holes. Uh, you can just do nine holes. Uh, there's opportunities mm-hmm. now. You can even just do six ho- six holes if you want. So you know, there, there's ways that you can modify it. And I like the the fact that there are a lot of people out there, as you said, they're becoming very innovative and in trying to find. I think what's hurt over the years, uh, Allison, to be honest is I think that there has been this misconception with all of these new ideas coming out that it's going to hurt traditional golf. I think the opposite. I think it's actually going to help traditional golf because it's going to allow people that normally may not have gravitated to to the golf industry, um, again, thinking along the lines of what I just suggested, that they think it's just sort of you know going up playing 18 holes or playing on a collegiate uh, team or what have you, um, that it's all about uh, competition, and it's not. There's other factors involved, family golf and so, so on. So I think that the more doors that we can open, eventually, um, certainly not all of them, but many of those people are going to funnel into a more traditional line of golf as as they mature and develop in in the sport. But if they get introduced, um, you know, building sandcastles in a sand trap, um, you know, all the power to those that come up with that idea. Do you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I totally understand where you're going with this. And I think that golf itself has um, sort of this stereotype. As right. being a, a sport, maybe for a certain type of demographic, um, sure. for being stuffy, for being you know so much etiquette and rules and behavior, um, for being a for a particular type of person taking a particular amount of time, and, and this is what you have to do. And and if we can break down those barriers and, and get more people involved and exposed to it. Um, we're we're going to have more participants in the game, and then we won't have this huge fear of golf declining and golf courses closing i mean we look at soccer and just the idea and the paradigm of soccer is that hey everyone's welcome it doesn't matter how great right. you are how fast you are what you look like what your social economic status is everyone can play soccer there's one ball let's join together well with right. golf i think that there's a bunch of different limitations that people see As it takes too much time sure. to too expensive. we don't belong to a country club um you know, and all these different factors that may impact whether they join it. So, if as an industry we can create conditions that are more inclusive and open for anyone to try the game, they might find that it's a pretty fun sport, and and they don't have to be um, super competitive in it. But it can be a fantastic recreational outdoor acti- activity to get people moving.
1: I'll tell you a great way, in my opinion, that I think would would really be an icebreaker for the golf industry. You know, we see a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of advertisement about golf and and that on the golf channel, which is great for you and I and those that play golf because, you know, we'll watch that to see what's happening. But for the average person out there that maybe hasn't really gravitated to golf yet, they're not going to watch the golf channel. And if you look at the other mainstream media, you know, other than occasionally, you know, who won the tournament last weekend or or what have you uh, or who's number one, you don't see a lot of advertisement about golf in general other than on the tours. And what I would love to see is for the powers that be with the PGA is I would love for them to put together a string of commercials, if you will, not just about going out and playing on the golf course, but about the golf in general and how it is, uh, you know, can be a family sport, how it can be, um, you know, all these different ways that, that we can think of and and get it out to the masses that way because, you know, it's great to have all the stuff on the Golf Channel and, and some of these other uh, venues, but if people are not in the sport already, they're not watching the Golf Channel or they're not reading, you know, Golf Digest or, or Golf Magazine or Golf Tips Magazine. They're not reading it because they're not playing golf. So we need to go treat it like a Disney commercial, if you will, and get out there and let people, you know, see what's available and say, hey, yeah, yeah, that looks kind of fun. I, I think I'd like to try that and, and do that in the Mass. And I, I would love to, to see them allocate some financial resources. Um, I mean, they're certainly making a lot of money on the tours uh, coming into the PGA and the LPGA. I'd love to see them take some of those financial resources and, and market the, the, mass, uh, the masses that way and, and focus on women's golf as well. Get some good advertising out there uh, to the masses through, through uh, some non-traditional golf uh, venues, if you will
3: hmm I agree. Those are great ideas. God, make it happen.
1: Well, hey, <laughs> write me the check, and, and I'll be bored. But do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and the reason why I'm saying this is – and I'm not knocking the, the advertising that's going on in golf right now. I think it's good. It's it's interesting. But, again, it's it, it's feeding the people that are already watching and playing and involved in golf. I don't see – how it's it's expanding and i think that if we can you know get on especially now with with nbc being a, a part of the golf channel and 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 that mm-hmm. why you know nbc isn't um doing that it's only going to help their uh, brand with the golf channel and and cbs and all these you know other uh, networks fox you know you name it um you know i would love to see within the golf industry to take that initiative, junior golf, that sort of thing. And it's not just about tournament play. And I think it has to be about the industry in general. And I think advertising in that way would be a big, big help and get out to people that traditionally um, they're not going to get to. Uh, other than through, you know, word of mouth or, or a buddy inviting them out to the golf course or what have you, or out to, out to the country club for for a meal, um, they're not getting exposed because it's not in the and, and also getting into the school systems more aggressively. It's it's coming in there now, but it needs to be more aggressive. That, that's who they should be lobbying in Washington is the school system getting golf into the school system. But that's uh, that's for another show. We're going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> let me ask. Let me, I could be, I could go on for the whole hour with that so I'll I'll stop now because I want to get to some things that I know you want to talk about. Um focus band. Tell for yeah. those that don't know what focus band is, tell them first off what it is and how you're using it to help uh, athletes uh t- sort of dig into their and be, uh their peak performance state.
3: So focus band has actually been around for quite some time, but it hasn't um necessarily been financially affordable for instructors to really Integrate into their business as easily um, as it is now, or has it been open to consumers to so easily buy? But FocusBand is now um, out for consumers and instructors to purchase, and it's a little bit more affordable. And it's a way to measure brain activity. Um, hmm. I'm by no means an expert on on the science behind it, but I have integrated right. it into my practice recently and I've done some some testing and some studies with it, and I really like where it's going to enhance my business and working with athletes. And so um, it's basically a band that goes around uh, the outside of your head, and it's Mm -hmm. able to measure the activity of what's going on. So we know that when you're standing over a golf shot and there's a lot of mental chatter, thoughts, um, self-statements, taking in a lot of different stimuli, there's a lot going on, and that can really limit... Your, your motor process and the execution of a very complex motor pattern that we're trying to develop, which is a golf swing. And right. if we're able to get into a very quiet place or a quiet state, we can optimally perform better. And so they use this word um, named motion, which is sort of like this mindlessness, if you will, not mindfulness, but mindlessness. So having this open capacity, this freeness in your mind, Um, to be able to be extremely focused over a shot. And so it it Bluetooths up to the iPad and you'll see a little avatar on that iPad and it highlights the um, amount of activity that's going on in the student's brain. So if we're hitting some shots, I can have them throw it on and work through a couple of shots and we can use some neurofeedback so some tones can come out where they know that they're in a very congested and and chatter-filled state. They can hear that different tone. And then when they're able to take some deep breaths and really clear out all of that chatter and get into a very um, quiet state, then that tone changes. So they're able to train themselves with that feedback to get into an optimal peak performance state. How I'm using it with my clients in office is oftentimes some of the – Um, athletes that will work with me through um, an interpersonal relationship as I am working on my doctorate in clinical psychology and I'm a marriage and family therapist registered intern, is we'll just work on the skill base of how to get into that state. So whether it's through breathing patterns, whether it's through um, some meditation, having some daily practice of mindfulness in order to get into that state quicker, Uh, there's some really different drills and, and skills that we can improve upon to get athletes into a better state, and then they can bring that to whatever sport—not necessarily golf or whether it's water polo or baseball—they can right. transfer those skills easier to their performance.
1: Well, and and I think it's a great, you know, very interesting. Uh, I'm I'm probably like you. I'm I'm familiar with it. I'm certainly no expert um, with, with the uh, with the focus band, but I understand the the concept behind it, and and I think it is great. And a lot of people might be sort of scratching their head and say, "Well, why do I? You know, what does it really matter?" Um, you know, what my brain is doing, you know, all these signs and that. But really, as you said, there's a lot of chatter and and especially, you know, when people are first addressing the ball, um, you know, the pros have have been able to um, work out and and calm themselves, if you will, for lack of better words, uh, in preparation. And when they don't, then the results are usually negative. And I think this is really what the focus band, if I understand correctly, is trying to do. Is It's trying to help people understand that when they're in a state that their mind is is really racing, for, um, you know, and, and too many thoughts coming in. They're, you know, they're thinking about this, they're thinking about that. Maybe they're, um, you know, thinking about uh, picking up the kids or whatever. There's so much chatter going on that they're not really able to focus on the, the task at hand. And so through different techniques that – are sort of associated with it, you're able to see, okay, this is what the feedback that, that the focus band is giving me and through these different techniques that you just mentioned, the breathing and meditation and so on, um, we're able to quiet that mind down and then sort of replace it with what they need to be focusing on in order to execute the shot. Is that is that pretty much it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I would say most amateurs really underestimate how much the mental game impacts their performance. You know, most of the students that come to me for a lesson are thinking about the physical aspects and they don't really realize how much this brain plays a role into their own success and their own failure. And I think this is now a way for me to show a measurable tool to say, hey, okay, we can talk about these concepts until we're blue in the face and you can either take them or leave them and integrate them or not integrate them, but how about we measure it? Because a lot of times when people see numbers, whether it's through flight scope and we're measuring distance or club face and all that, it's another form of of validation for them. Like, oh, I kind of get what you're talking about now. Right. And so as a way to communicate, hey, this is important, let's measure where you're at now and let's do some skill building and then let's measure where you're at later and see what sort of different outcomes um, develop they start to jump on board with it and say, "Oh, okay, I can't really think about the laundry and, and what I'm going right. to do for dinner as I'm trying to make this two-foot putt. It doesn't quite work, but I can right. think about that stuff after I make the putt. But I'm going to be really focused over that."
1: Yeah, and that's that's a great point. You know, uh, Allison is a lot of people, um, and I'll I'll single out women here for a second. I mean, there's no ifs and buts that that women are, are great multitaskers, but at the same time. Um, sometimes you can you can take on too many tasks and you know you can still for the most part do them fairly efficiently but when it comes to the golf swing uh, and playing golf if if you've got too many things in the box and I'm referring to the mind as the box um, it it can clutter and cloud your 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 efforts and uh, that's not to say that you have to think nothing but golf but at the same time if you've got too much going on upstairs and, and something that Tim Kramer, who was on the show last week on, on the coach's corner, uh, he's a, he's a peak performance coach and he talked about emotions and people don't realize, but emotions as well is huge, uh, uh hugely affects the outcome of how you play golf. If, if you're in uh, sort of an internally, uh, anger state or, or agitated state with your emotions, it's going to transcend into your golf game. And a lot of people don't think that. They think, well, it's just maybe my arm wasn't straight or I didn't take the, the ball, the club back correctly or the ball was in the wrong position. But a lot of times it could be their emotions that are, that are creeping in and, and, you know, cluttering up their mind and just not allowing them to focus on what they really should be focusing, focusing with. Excuse me. Um, instead, their, their mind is drifting elsewhere. And I'm sure that this uh, focus band is able to help a little bit with that as well, correct?
0: absolutely
3: you know like i said it's just a form to be able to measure it i mean obviously we can't measure emotions going right. that's more self-reporting than anything right. i wish we could measure emotions from a outside perspective but as far as how much activity is going on in the brain whether that's thinking and cognitive processing or just you know external floaters that are going around it's going to be able to just give us a, a form to look at um, and to give feedback on how to how to improve and. I think the emotional component is definitely a huge piece of what amateurs need to learn about how it impacts their game. Unfortunately, it takes a very special kind of rapport, I think, to even broach that subject with many golfers, because when they're coming for a golf lesson, they're not looking to talk about their emotions. They're looking to hit the golf ball straighter or to change flight pattern of some, some sort so it is a very special opportunity for me when a student allows me uh, to get into their world in that capacity so that we can approve emotional state we can measure not only their focus but then we can improve their uh, their mental state as uh, as well as their physical place
1: yeah and it sounds like a great way you know I'm I'm all for and I've said this before I'm all for technology uh, as long as it's put in its proper place and it sounds like you know, what you're doing here with, with some of the different things that you're using, Focus Band and, and flight scope and all these other things, that, that you're sort of marrying it into um, your instruction in, in the right way. You're not trying to overcrowd um, people with too many facts and figures and, and all this sort of thing. You're trying to really provide them with valuable information, uh, feedback that you're getting, and then able to show them how it's affecting their game and, and then give them some, um, some solutions or techniques that will then in turn help them achieve or overcome whatever obstacles they may be facing, whether it be in the, in the mental game or whether it be in the physical game as well and that 's really what this technology is meant to do and you know I've said that i made no bones about this in the past. Um, we have to make sure that we find that balancing act and, and the focus band sounds like a, a great product. And it sounds like you've you've got uh, a good grasp on on what the, the the true use of that product is, and uh, and are able to help your students. So so kudos to you for for finding that uh, that balancing act.
3: Yeah, thank you. It's um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because technology can really take away from that interpersonal connection that you're trying to make with a student. You know, if you're stuck behind a computer screen, or you're right. too busy looking at your iPad. You know, you lose that eye contact, you lose that personal connection. So technology is great, and I love enhancing my business with it, but that's what it is. It enhances my business. It makes me a better teacher. It's not necessarily for the student, but it's to make me a better teacher right. to deliver my message, um, for, you know, what I want them to accomplish or, or how I need to help them. So I agree with you. We need to balance our technology because, again, this comes down to working with people. And, uh, and not robots. And so we need to use that technology to enhance our relationships with the individual.
1: Right, exactly. Well said. All right, let's, um, I want to shift gears just a, a little bit here. These are uh, some questions that I had in the last hour um, that I had uh, for the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, I wanted to ask you uh, some of the questions, Not certainly not all of them because we don't have time, but uh, maybe just a few of them. And one of the questions I asked I thought was kind of interesting was um, what's the best tip? Uh, that you ever gave a student, and what's the best tip that you ever received? Now, obviously, receiving uh, could be from a student uh, that maybe you were working with that that gave you something that you've then in turn incorporated into your teaching, uh, or it could be from a fellow uh, teach professional out there that you were working with or you you got to know over over your career um, that gave you a tip that again that's helped enhance. So, what was the best tip that you ever gave, and what was the best tip that you ever received? Gosh,
3: that's a really great question. That required me to <laughs> pretend and do some thinking. I would say...
1: Do you, do you want to put first, the focus band first. on? Do you want to put the focus <laughs> band on first? And then...
3: Yeah, I might need to go meditate on that <laughs> for a little bit, Ted. Well, I have a little bit of an issue with the word tips because sure. I feel like, and you've probably heard this before, it's nothing new, you know, we give tips and people take it or leave it. And I feel like tips are Band-Aids right. and Band-Aids are right. meant to fall off. So. I would say that I hope that through my teaching, I don't necessarily give tips, even though um, I also contribute to Golf Tips magazine to kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. pass information out to the masses. I really like to provide content and information that elicits change. So I like to be that change agent, if you will, for the students. So what would be the best um, piece of information that elicited change in somebody else, I would say it wouldn't be something specific, but Mm. it would be empowering a person who has not felt empowered before to own their game. So working with an individual who maybe has lower self-esteem or lower self-confidence and they didn't feel good about themselves, when they finally got to the place in their game where they owned it, They felt empowered to make their own decisions because they had the appropriate amount of information that they needed, when they felt that they could control their body the way they wanted to when delivering the golf club um, into the golf ball. You know, however I was able to, through dialogue or demonstration or through coaching, was able to allow them to become empowered, that's the best form of content I think I've ever been able to help a student get because that's life-changing for them. Sure. It's not something that's going to go away it's something that's going to remain with them forever and to have an individual feel empowered in this game can, that can make us feel so helpless um, and hopeless at times is a really really powerful piece so I wish I could wrap it up in a tiny little bow and box and say <laughs> here's the tip you know do well, this with your hands
1: <laughs> yeah I, I mean yeah I understand exactly what you're saying and, and I use the word tips just simply as a as a, a way of sort of uh, wrapping it up, as you said, into a nice little box with with a bow on top just for the, so that people understand. But now, no, that, that's great. Now, what about in, in, in reciprocation? You know, obviously, you, you've worked with other, um, you know, coaches and teaching professionals out there. Has there been, a, um, instead of a tip, let's say, an exchange of information that has helped you um, or you thought, hmm, yeah, okay, I, I could see that or, or, yeah, I have a better understanding of that. Um, and, and I can see how it would, I can apply this to, to my, uh, uh, you know, my teaching, if you will. Is there anything like that that you can recall, um, whether it's recently or maybe it was something uh, – it doesn't necessarily have to be from a teaching professional. It could be from a parent. Uh, it could be from a mentor of some sort. Uh, anybody that, that maybe has given you some information that you, in turn, uh, were able to use um, you know, and, and help the furtherance of, of your career.
3: Yes, I have two. I'm going to give you two little golden nuggets here, Ted. The first one um, is going to come from a coach slash mentor, and the it's kind of been um, traditionally in my family, sort of like a running running joke because we all know we all know this this thing. (laughs) So when I was in high school uh, playing basketball, I had a very inspirational coach, David Olivo. And he would always have some really great one liners that he would share. He was also a football coach, but then he would coach women's basketball. And he would tell us as a team, make an adjustment. And I think from high school on, not only has my family embraced that, but I've personally uh, embraced it. And that piece of wisdom can be applied to everything. No matter what situation you're in, make an adjustment. If you don't like what you're doing, make an adjustment. And so how I relate that to golf is if I personally am frustrated with my game or there's something that I want to perform better or do something better in my own personal or business life, what can I do to make an adjustment from there? Um, So I oftentimes will share that with other students. So it's empowered me so much and it has resonated with me that I will share that with others. But that has been profound, just life-changing for me Um, to apply to all different aspects of my life. So um, something that's maybe more recent is uh, I like to take lessons from other instructors on occasion just to kind of get a feel for how they teach. I like to put myself in the student role again. I still actively compete, so I'm continuously working on my game. And sometimes as a teacher, it's hard to teach yourself, and I like to get other people's Mm -hmm. feedback. So I've uh, taken a few lessons with another well-known instructor in Los Angeles and I think it's made me think differently about weight shift and pressure shift. And I know there's a bunch of different words that are now floating sure. around as people are getting more yeah. into <laughs> biomechanics and so forth, and that's a right. whole different realm um, and level of expertise. But I would say through my own self-discovery and through being in the student role, my perspective um, and some of the best Um, information that has been exchanged and given to me about my golf swing is how I use my lower body to shift pressure, to change weight in the golf swing. And Hmm. that's sort of been eye-opening to me because I had a paradigm and a belief about how the hips should shift and work um, throughout the golf swing. And this sort of tweaked it and changed it and made it better. Not only has it made me a better golfer, but I start to see um, individuals' bodies differently working in the golf swing. Hmm.
1: Very interesting. I I like both of those. And I really like, I particularly like the the first one, uh, make an adjustment. Because, you know, a lot of times we hear uh, instead of that, you know, you need to change this or you need to make a change, which in a roundabout way is similar, but an adjustment is less daunting and is less uh, intrusive. I think sometimes when when people hear change, you know, if you want to, you know, if you don't change this, uh, you know, you're going to keep getting the same results, and it's not going to be good. Which, w- in a sense, we do need to make changes. But I think an adjustment um, is an easier pill, if you will, for some people to swallow. I think putting it in that context. So that's a great uh, that that's a great uh, thing that your coach did uh, back in high school is, is to use that that phrase, make an adjustment, and and obviously it's it's stuck with you uh, these years later.
3: And even when working with students now, I, I find that I. Move away from particular words such as change when working right. on our golf swing. A lot of them have a belief like, oh, if I go to an instructor, they're going to change everything about me.
0: It, so exactly. I tend to
3: work with, you know, adjustment or let's make a modification to your right. golf swing. Let's keep the core of what you do and how about we modify it to make it a bit better for you. And um, I think that that resonates and sits well with people that are coming in and becoming vulnerable in a lesson and they want to get better. We're not going to change stuff, but we're going to modify it and adjust it. So yeah, I do um I do like that aspect of that that piece of advice.
1: Yeah, and and, and it goes to what I was talking about earlier with John on, on the panel discussion. You know, a lot of people, you know, we know in the business, if you've you've been doing this for, for any length of time, which which I know we both have, um, we know that not every golf swing is the same. I mean there are certain key elements that have to be um, consistent, but there could be a different route in getting to those um, elements and We know that from watching golfers you know from twenty thirty years ago, one of the problems that's happened here uh, in the last few decades, and I think this has added as I mentioned to John in the discussion, added to some of the frustration is the industry sort of moved in a position where it was trying to sort of put everybody into the same box and You know, what what ultimately ends up happening is, you know, your swing is is going to be different from mine. Now, to an untrained eye, they may say, well, okay, he's taking the club back, she's taking the club back, and so on and so forth. But there are certain differences just because of our body styles, our body types, height, weight, all that kind of good stuff. And there are other factors as well. And, you know, physical uh, abilities and so forth. And I think what happened for a long, long period of time, as we sort of have tried to groove the perfect swing is there was this element, let's get everybody into the same box. Let's get everybody's arms in the same direction and, and, you know, in the same set position. And, you know, a lot of people that maybe couldn't do something that say Nick Faldo could do or, uh, Alison Kurt could do, um, became frustrated. So, you know, We can take the general elements that are needed um, and make those adjustments or those tweaks uh, or modifications and tap into your ideal swing or my ideal swing and and conversely with the students. And I think that's what people are starting to realize now um, in instruction. I think that they're starting and there's a lot of great things out there, you know, biomechanics, all that kind of good stuff. But I think people are realizing that everybody is a unique and individual being and we can't treat them all the same. We have to look at each person as an individual and assess and, and modify or adapt based on their skill levels and their um, you know, s- circumstances. And I think you would agree with that, that that's helping to make it a little easier transition from becoming a higher handicapper into a better player.
3: I'd agree. You know, there was even a time in my career, early, early, early on in my career, where I worked for a company giving golf lessons indoors that Mm -hmm. sort of tried to get everybody into the same position, you know, and there would be be biofeedback and there would be ranges for people to get in, but, you know, it didn't really quite fit with me and my philosophy in the sense that, like, hey, not everyone's different and not everyone is able to get into – these averages um, that tour players can get in when they're doing that full-time. And I I think the LPGA Teaching and Club Pro Division has had it all along because yeah. their teaching philosophy is student-centered. And mm-hmm. their, their coaching and mentoring of instructors and classification of, of testing and all that has really proposed that each student is unique. Now, there's obviously going to be some – basic fundamentals and some laws and some principles, if you will, that must be mastered in order to allow a decent delivery of the club head into the ball. But Mm -hmm. to treat each individual as unique because not everybody are going to be able to stand the same posture. They're not going to be able to twist and rotate the same way or even grip the golf club the same way. But if we can find the best version of them swinging the club, I think that should be – our goal as instructors is not fitting them into a model that has averages and percentages. And this is what looks good, but finding the best version of them that meets their goals. And that really sort of has go, goes along with the, the teaching and club pro philosophy since, you know, their inception.
1: Yeah. Well said. And, and I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, I, I think it's like anything. I think golf is, is continually evolving Um, not just the game itself, but golf instruction. And I think as instructors, you know, we have to be mindful of of the different techniques that are out there. And and certainly um, some might feel more comfortable teaching a certain methodology, if you will. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you have to do what's comfortable for you, but we have to be also mindful that not everybody's going to fit into that mold. Um, And, and if you try to put everybody into that same box, you're going to find that you're going to get met with resistance because they're, and this is what I think creates frustration sometimes with the students out there as they get in say, I just can't do that. I just, you know, my, my body type or my circumstance will just not allow me to do that. However, you know, they might be able to do something different. So we have to be really, uh, and this goes to a point I made earlier in the program as well, is we have to be really good listeners uh, as instructors. I think that we have to listen first um, and really understand and, and ask, uh, as you talked about, and John did as well earlier in the show. Um, we have to ask the, the students why they're there in the first place. It's not just a matter of taking lessons. You know, why do they play golf? Um, you know, what do they want to get out of it? Is it just you know they want to have fun? Do they want to you know uh, have a good time with some friends? Are they looking to to elevate to to a competitive level? Um, we have to understand why they're there in the first place, and then you know build from there and and not try to, as I said, label everybody the same. And uh, we also have to be careful, too, because sometimes the students will try to put us into that position as well and say, well, I, you know, I just need help with this. And, you know, after you've watched them hit a few balls, you realize that that really is not the issue. It's something entirely different. So, it, again, you're, you're sort of navigating uh, sort of shark-infested water sometimes when you're out there <laughs> in the, on the range because, you know, you, you don't want to, you know, come across an, as though the student is is, you know, doesn't have their thinking cap on but at the same time we have to be mindful um of not trying to impose what we feel is the ideal swing based on maybe our own swing or something that we've been you know raised to 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 teach um we we have to be mindful of that and i think that uh, instruction is starting to to have a better understanding of that um let me ask you a final question if i may um and i'm going to try to see if I can think of a different way of putting this. The original question, question would be um, five tips to help navigate any round, but we're not going to use the word tip. So um, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. I should have thought of that ahead of time. Um, <laughs> if, if you were going to give suggestions on, on to help somebody uh, navigate, um, You know, through their round what what, would be some things the first thing i would say i'm going to throw the first one out there and then and you you can agree disagree or or add to that uh is i would say before any round i don't care whether you're playing in your club championship whether you're playing uh we know the tour players uh do on some level um but uh or or you're just getting together with your grant is you need to have a game plan you need to have some sort of a plan if you will of how you're going to play that course. And that doesn't mean you have to have, you know, every shot detailed out, um, you know, you're, you're not, you know, unless you're playing at the Masters. But you have to have some sort of a game plan. You just can't come up there and get up to the first tee and say, well, I'm going to hope for the best. So I would say a game plan, is it would definitely fall into as, as one of the categories is, is have a game plan in preparation for that round. Um, what are some others that you think uh, golfers should know?
3: I like that. I do like the game plan uh, portion because I think you need to have, it ties into like setting your intention. You know, what the heck are you going to do out there? Are you just going to hit the ball or are you going to have some sort of purpose and some sort of intention when you're out there? So I would go back a little bit deeper to like kind of exploring the question with the student first. And I'm sorry, this is just like my therapist cap that comes out (laughs) is like, well, what are you navigating? Like, so you're navigating the round, but what does that mean to you? And so everyone who's listening to this program is going to come up with what navigating around a golf means to them. So I think I would first seek to understand that first with my students so that I could then, you know, kind of cater my words to to fit their needs. Um, Mm -hmm. But we'll just kind of go generic here with that being said. Sure. So to to navigate, I would say preparation, you know, to go in with that game plan of preparation do you have enough mm-hmm. golf balls? Do you have enough teas and supplies? Are you mm-hmm. prepared with what sort of nutrients you're going to fill your body with? What sort of water are you going to have enough sunscreen? I would, Preparation is going to be so important to just fulfilling the comfort of being able to perform your best. I mean, nothing's more frustrating for someone who's out on the golf course. They haven't drank any water or hydrated. They have no food. They're burning up because they forgot their sunscreen and they're on their last golf ball. Um, And so now you're trying to win the club championship and you've got these other external annoyances that are going on due to lack of preparation. So, um, you know, as as you have a game plan or a strategy for how to play the golf course, I would say be prepared, not only mentally and physically, but be prepared with your uh, equipment as well.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, My other suggestion for for navigating around the golf course is – having a contingency plan when Mm -hmm. things go bad um, do you have a plan in place for how to manage so we're not always going to hit straight shots and great shots and have putts go in and there's going to be times that you're in the middle of a round and things are you know the wheels are starting to fall off so what do you do do you panic or do you have a backup plan some people might call that a b swing or You know, Plan B for how to hit the golf ball, and I wouldn't even go into having a different swing. But let's talk about a contingency plan. Do you know how to monitor your emotions? Can you get yourself from a very elevated and frustrated place and say, Hey, this is not going to be my score is 68 today. Maybe this is going to be a little bit higher, but how can I make the best of it? What's my contingency plan for when the wheels fall off? Uh, for additional penalty shots, or for emotions that you feel uncomfortableness, having a plan in place. And part of getting that plan in place for a contingency plan when when things go bad um, is being in that situation, um, putting yourself in a situation and practicing how to get back out of it. Perfect. Um, also for for navigating around, um, I would say evaluate where you're at skill level, and have them meet expectations. So if you're on the golf course and you're expecting to break par, but your handicap is a 10, that's a pretty big difference between your expectations and what your skill level is at. So to navigate successfully on the golf course, keeping in mind that our expectations and our level of skill and competency in in, in skill should be at a fairly equal level. Um, So the fifth... Uh, fifth best way to navigate the golf course um, is yeah. I would say have a good grasp on you. Be the expert on you. Know what puts you in the best place to hit the best shot, whether that's creating your own pre-shot routine, whether there's certain uh, tendencies that you need to do before hitting your best shot. Really own and be the expert on you. be the best athlete on the golf course because if you can navigate yourself then you can navigate the golf course a lot more effectively.
1: Perfect fantastic I I love it all all five of them Um, you know it's really about understanding yourself better I think overall um, is is what I'm hearing from you is really having an understanding of yourself understanding Um, and preparedness, you know, a lot of people go to the golf course, as as I mentioned a few moments ago, um, really ill prepared, you know, they, they're, they're more worried about their golf swing and, and looking the the part and not really, um, you know, they don't really have a purpose, you know, they go there and yeah, they want to play golf and, you know, certainly they don't want to embarrass themselves and they want to shoot a good score, but they're not really preparing themselves, um, you know, to navigate through those 18 holes. And, you know, they get caught up in, in, in all of the other vernacular that we, we talk about here in the industry and that, um, you know, plane and swing speed and tempo and all this other kind of stuff. And it just really takes away from the enjoyment because they've got too many thoughts going through their head and, and, um, and just not really focusing on the things that they need to be focusing. So I, I like those ideas that, that you, uh, you put forth there. And um, it's very easy to see why you were uh, the uh, national uh, teacher of the year um very easy to see why you why you uh you got that award. Um Allison, I want to thank you for for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. I've enjoyed it.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me back on the show. I really enjoy our our time together. Always makes me think and great great in-depth conversation <laughs> and I hope all the the listeners have pulled away what they have needed um from us chatting together. So thanks so much for this opportunity.
1: Well, you're always welcome back and I believe you, you're you going to be jumping in on some coaches corner panel discussions throughout the year. We're going to be doing some things a little bit differently this year. Uh, I think you've you've got uh, your name in the hat a few times there as well. And uh, Allison, you're always welcome to come back on the show any uh, anytime that you uh, have some things that you want to share uh, with the audience. Uh, I always um, believe in an open invitation. So um, just feel free to reach out and, and I will always uh, reach out as I um, you know, I obviously follow everybody on Facebook and different social media, so I see when new things are happening, and, and um, so I always try to reach out as well, but uh, um, as I've said to many, many other guests in that, uh, don't hesitate to reach out, and this is really why I'm here, is to is to help spread the word and, and help uh, share um, the efforts and talents of, of all the other great teaching professionals out there. So thank you, Allison, for all that you do, and very quickly, uh, for those that want to get more information on Allison Kurt, uh, where can they go to get that?
3: My website has a lot of great content and information, Um It'll talk a little bit about my teaching philosophy, some of the lessons and program offerings that I have, my work with Focus Band and Flight Scope, uh, some mental coaching, my partnership with Callaway Golf and, and getting um, each individual into their, their best fit equipment, as well mm-hmm. as some content on some tips and articles I for a local newspaper and a couple of magazines and put on some YouTube videos. So there's some great content to pick up some, some great elements of change versus tips <laughs> that will be available. Right. Uh, there's also some links to email my phone number and social media sure. on my Facebook business page, so com.
1: Perfect. Uh, again, Alison, thank you very much for joining me on Golf Talk Live. Uh, again, always an open invitation. You're welcome to come back, and I look forward to you Uh, jumping in and throwing your hat, as I said, in the ring uh, on some of the coaches' corner panels uh, later in the year. So thank you again. Have a great weekend. And um, just keep doing the great stuff that you're doing. And uh, you you make it look too easy.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to chatting with you again in the future.
1: All right. Thanks, Allison. Have a great weekend.
3: You as well. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, um, PGA and LPGA Master Professional Allison Kurt, uh, doing lots of great things to help grow this game. Go to AllisonKurtGolf.com. Uh, as she mentioned, you can get uh, all the details that you want about uh, what she does and, and how to get in touch with her from there. Uh, I want to very quickly, I got just a few moments here before we go off air. I want to thank, uh, take this opportunity to thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live each and every week. Um, thank you to my uh, very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, John Hughes. And I did get a, a note uh, during the broadcast from Pete Buchanan. Unfortunately, he got uh, tied up and was unable to join us, but uh, sends his apologies. And uh, I'll be more than happy to, to jump in the, the next time. But uh, not to worry, Pete. We, uh, John and I managed to, to hold the fort down for, for the first hour. And, and Allison, of course, um, very eloquently helped me navigate uh, through the second hour so thank you um, um, Pete for, for that quick note um, again thank you for all of you out there that tune into the Golf Talk live each and every week and I really do as, as I uh, mentioned every week uh, very sincerely enjoy having uh, a number of highly talented coaches and teaching professionals, authors and entrepreneurs stop by uh, the program and it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make uh, Golf Talk Live a first class show. Thank you to all the supporters and sponsors of the show, Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide Uh, Meredith Kirk, uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf, and Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions. Um, Again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and remember to tune in next Thursday at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend.